as much on fire because of who we didn't draft, we didn't play, as who we drafted and played this year. That's the theme of the week. It's not just who you played. It's not just who you drafted. It's who you didn't play. It's who you didn't draft. Because I'm looking at the weekly scorers in November, and I'm seeing a lot of players that we've been touting since before they were drafted. That's the beauty of analyzing football all year round. We follow these players like Nick Chubb as prospects. Know that Nick Chubb had one of the best freshman seasons for a running back in the history of college football. That's something I just innately knew. Like It was embedded in me the moment Nick Chubb declared for the draft, oh, he's one of the best running backs to come along in some time. And it may not happen this year, but this 2018 running back class will ascend. Oh, yes. And the work you do in February, in March, in April, matters. It translates to more successful rookie drafts, which then carries over into our world-famous draft kit, where we had selected rookies ranked higher than their veteran contemporaries or teammates. And some of them were head-scratchers. How could you have Nick Chubb ranked ahead of Carlos Hyde? Ah! You see, week one is not the full season. That's why. Peter Howard is the best in the business, and he puts together an extreme cheat sheet that certainly puts a premium on near-term performance, but also long-term success for your fantasy team. And we get so many listeners and patrons, especially on patreon.com forward slash podfather, sharing fantasy football success with myself and Peter. Because thanks to the draft kit, you were drafting Marlon Mack over Jordan Wilkins. Why? Because we study... 2018 NFL draft prospects for months and we knew we knew even while others at ESPN like Mike Clay insisting Jordan Wilkins is the best running back on the Indianapolis roster we said hell no we arrived with Rich Rebar who comes on this program every March and tells you which under the radar rookie running back is going to pop he did it with Aaron Jones he did it with Marlon Mack and before Aaron Jones was suspended we had Aaron Jones ranked many, 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 many slots higher than Jamal Williams. As others who we mentioned on this program who write for prestigious fantasy football websites like Chat Sports insisted that, no, 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 the the best sleeper for fantasy football has got to be Jamal Williams because Aaron Jones, he can't stay healthy. And it's not necessarily about identifying Aaron Jones as a surefire breakout player. It's about identifying players not to draft. Get out of here with Carlos Hyde. Get out of here with Ronald Jones. That's why so many of you have Peyton Barber. And I know he's on your bench. You're not starting him. But it's nice to know that Peyton Barber is on your bench scoring 15-plus fantasy points, isn't it? So in case of emergency, you can break open glass with Peyton Barber. Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice to know you didn't draft Ronald Jones in any format? Isn't it? Isn't it nice to be able to point at players and say, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. No, no, no. And then point at your league mates. Sucka, 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 sucka. We talked about this with Sean Siegel. Just drafting players based on projected early season opportunity isn't the way to go. It's a long season. And the Browns drafted Nick Chubb with the third pick in the second round. It's not like we uncovered this gem that is Nick Chubb in the later rounds. 
like Aaron Jones the year prior. No, the Browns knew what they had in Nick Chubb. They knew this was an exceptional running back. How you could justify drafting Carlos Hyde over Nick Chubb just stretches to the outer bounds of my ability to to understand the perspectives of others. (laughs) I don't understand this. Yeah, I guess he's been named the starter in week one. So? I guess Ronald Jones was a second-round pick. So? But as the season plays out, you're learning why I don't take L's. Why we didn't take an L on Amari Cooper. Right? 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 Now, some players are underperforming their draft kit projections. Peter Howard and I are not perfect. Chris Hogan. Woof. Devin Funchess. Woof. No player's dynasty ranking has crashed more violently in the last couple months than Devin Funchess. Just like no player's seasonal ranking has crashed harder than Chris Hogan's. Nowhere on Player Profiler is there a 100% accuracy guarantee. Is it? I didn't see one. I've been here for every pixel that was designed and developed on playerprofiler.com. And I don't see a 100% accuracy guarantee. But that seems to be the expectation of so many. Oh, the Podfather starts every show with a victory lap. What about Devin Funchess, asshole? Fuck you. I am self-described to be a lot of things. Infallible ain't one of them. But fortunately, these yeah, but, oh, by the way, buzzards. The yeah, but, oh, by the way, buzzard, right? You know that guy. (laughs) He's flying out there. A little crooked, but he's, he's making a go of it. He flies too close to the mansion. We'll eventually take him down. But these voices are drowned out in a sea of screenshots. Underworld listeners and minions storming into the playoffs because they drafted Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott and at worst, DeAndre Hopkins, like I told you to. And then you pounded receivers. You have Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Some of you have that Adam Thielen-Stephon Diggs stack that we talked about. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a fun stack. I have a couple of those stacks in Dynasty. Oh, oh, that's fun. And you needed a win last week, and you pushed the button on Amari Cooper, and bang! You're in the playoffs. You're welcome. Gonna ride Saquon Barkley and Nick Chubb with Aaron Jones and Flex to your championship. Oh, Mitchell Trubisky's hurt. He's not going to play in week 13. That's okay. We know that quarterback doesn't matter. And if you were listening to this show four weeks ago, Greg Smith at Greg Sauce on Twitter told you to stash Lamar Jackson so you're going to be just fine this week. I was marveling at our world-famous draft kit with Peter Howard just a couple days ago. And what's most notable is how many explosive young players who we've identified as good at football, were projected higher than consensus. And how many cardboard cutout veterans were shuffled down the rankings because they no longer have the juice. I yelled at Mike Beers about this. Please don't draft Jordan Howard in the third round. Please don't draft C.J. Anderson. Please don't do that. It's about the players you draft, but it's just as much about the players you don't pick. And I've been standing on my roof. I have a ladder. I put it against the gutter system, and then I climb the ladder, and then I climb up the shingles, and I stand on the top of my roof, and I yell to my neighbors with a megaphone as they call the police. Jordan Howard isn't good. Jordan Howard isn't good. Everybody, come out of your homes. Come into the street. Join me in chanting, Jordan Howard isn't good. Jordan Wilkins also isn't good. Stop listening to Mike Clay.
who's good and who's bad. It turns out that's really important. And we're going to talk to Davis Maddock about this. Davis Maddock said something that was so simple yet insightful. Touchdowns are not granted to players. They have to earn them. You need to make a good football play to score a touchdown. Sounds so simple. But it's not. And Jordan Howard currently has less than 10 fantasy points per game. That's in PPR leagues. (laughs) That's with the benefit of these 14 receptions. 14 receptions that are outside the top 40 among NFL running backs. It might have something to do with his 12.5% juke rate, which is number 57 in the league, close to the bottom among qualified running backs, as well as his 3.1% breakaway run rate. See, these are the advanced metrics indicators that tell us whether players are good or bad. And then we can then use these metrics to throttle players that aren't good when generating our full season projections, just like we boost players that are good. This sounds very simple. And I want you to keep this in mind over the next nine months of fantasy football content consumption. Think about it. As analysts from Chat Sports <laughs> lay out their case for Jamal Williams, it happens every year. Just think critically. And if you have not done it yet, start the process of creating or joining a dynasty league. Player profiler listeners often get together on Patreon and create leagues together. It's one of the great benefits of being in this community, patreon.com forward slash podfather, is you get to not only be in a dynasty league, but you get to be in a dynasty league with those that share your sensibilities. I mean, it's more challenging in that they also won't be overdrafting Ronald Jones, but banter among 12 people that know what they're doing and focus on the right details is much more interesting and engaging. And if you start paying attention to players as prospects, you'll be better prepared for your seasonal leagues, your best ball leagues, DFS, when the time comes. I have people ask me, how are you so prepared to talk about Austin Eckler the instant Melvin Gordon goes down? And my answer so often is dynasty, dynasty. It's all about dynasty. And the thing I've enjoyed most about this season is crossing over developing a significant presence in the DFS community. Now, I entered holding a blowtorch, and I burned the meeting hall down. But from the ashes, I'm building relationships, building respect, and building an audience in this community. New DFS players, DFS pros, the whole spectrum. And those that started listening to this show for dynasty purposes are now playing DFS. And those that started listening to this show, because I also have a show on Roto Grinders are now thinking to themselves, well, how do I get into a dynasty league? So it's this cross-pollination of ideas across fantasy football formats sitting in the center of this Venn diagram of dynasty leaguers, seasonal leaguers, and daily fantasy leaguers that has been the most enjoyable for me this year. And there's no better example today of how fantasy football diversity and versatility can help you than what we're seeing with Nick Chubb. He was my highest owned player in first rounds, often available at pick five, at pick six. I usually make the playoffs, so all I had to do was trade up a couple picks, a couple slots to secure Nick Chubb. Remember, Dynasty Leaguers were drafting Ronald Jones, Sony Michelle, and Rashad Penny before Nick Chubb. In some cases, Calvin Ridley before Nick Chubb. And I said, no, 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 (laughs) that's a mistake. You can't draft a wide receiver before Kerry and Johnson, much less Nick Chubb. 
You need to secure your workhorse running back in Dynasty. Drafting a wide receiver in round one, unless it's at the very end and is DJ Moore, made no fucking sense. And my highest owned wide receiver is Traquan Smith. Now Traquan Smith is injured. But Traquan Smith has two games on his resume tethered to Drew Brees as a rookie with over 100 yards. In one of those games, two touchdowns. In another one of those games, 13 targets. So it's on for Traquan Smith. And the casual fantasy gamer has heard of Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley played at Alabama. Calvin Ridley was a first-round pick. The idea that Traquan Smith in a vacuum is actually more talented than Calvin Ridley sounds crazy to the casual sports fan. But to those that listen to this show, it couldn't make more sense. That's the beauty of it. It's like living in a fantasy football matrix where you see what's real and what's not real. And your coworkers and your high school friends don't see the same reality you do. But all of that starts by locking in in January. Because that's when it all started, where we laid it out to you. Why the Browns failed for two consecutive years under Hugh Jackson and what they need to do to be successful. Evan Silva came on, he gave you tomorrow's newspaper. It wasn't about seasonal league strategy. It wasn't about DFS tactics. This was about zooming out and talking about football generally. And then you slowly zoom in and talk about dynasty leagues, strategy, tactics. It's just as much about identifying the players to target Nick Chubb as it is the players to avoid Ronald Jones. And here we are, Nick Chubb, top 12 in juke rate, top 12 in breakaway run rate. And his 2.34 yards created per carry is number three in the NFL. So all those metrics where Jordan Howard failed, Nick Chubb is excelling. And yet these were viewed as similar players. And I love to highlight these kinds of dichotomies at this point in the season. Act as if an alien comes down from a spaceship and you're talking to him about fantasy football. And he's looking at the ADPs. And it just seems absurd that Jordan Howard would be drafted six rounds before Nick Chubb, given their respective profiles on playerprofiler.com. And you just shrug your shoulders looking at the alien and go, I know, I know, I have a long list of absurd dichotomies. Let me tell you what people were saying about Jordan Wilkins. Now, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but let me talk to you about a player named Jarvis Landry. And you could just see the alien just flabbergasted. But this is the point in time in the season where it's the most fun to look back and wonder, how the hell was that a take three months ago? And yes, I know. I could play my Chris Hogan analysis for that alien, and he would be just as baffled as any of the other analysis I put in front of him. I get it. But I also know that our track record indicates we are succeeding on the margins, which is all we can do. Micro edges round around. If you opened your draft RB wide receiver times four, you have an edge. If you were stashing Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones and Kenny Galladay and Chris Godwin, as we suggested, you had an edge. Essentially, any second-year receiver with an impressive profile and the most inexpensive running back in those ambiguous backfields, whether it be Aaron Jones or James White, you had an edge. If you waited on quarterback, you had an edge. Maybe you drafted Patrick Mahomes. Maybe you drafted Matt Ryan. Maybe you drafted Mitchell Trubisky. Any of those three worked out just fine. In fact, it's funny. Mitchell Trubisky has showed up in more millionaire maker winning lineups on DraftKings and FanDuel than Patrick Mahomes. So it's been a great year for second-year quarterbacks, as it often is. The second year in the league is often the year in which quarterbacks and wide receivers are unlocked. 
A lot of running backs get unlocked as rookies. But for the members of the passing game, specifically quarterbacks, wide receivers, it's that second year breakout you're looking for. Which is why, in our draft kit, we're higher on second year players than consensus. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. I say this every show, and yet I'm sitting next to this alien, and I even have a megaphone, and it just doesn't get through to everybody. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. Stop drafting bad players. Which, of course, takes me to Zay Jones. No better example of a player to avoid starting in Dynasty and then carrying over into seasonal leagues than Zay Jones. The one second-round wide receiver from 2017, I assured you, would not break out this season. But what if I told you there are Dynasty League analysts, those with real, actual Dynasty podcasts, real podcasts, actual podcasts, Still touting Zay Jones, advocating that you go out and target Zay Jones in Dynasty. What if I told you that today, at this moment, those people exist? And I know, this alien, he's shaking his head. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Stop. No! That's a universal signal of disagreement. I know what the head shake means. We all can agree the head shake means you can't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that not only did a Dynasty League podcast strongly advocate targeting Zay Jones. And not just as an aside, not just as an oh, by the way. It was their featured segment. And there aren't that many Dynasty League shows happening during the season. I mean, we do one a month. Our next Sonic Truth show will come out next week. Look for it. Nate is back. So like, this is valuable airtime for a Dynasty League podcast. How are they going to use this valuable time? The answer? Touting Zay Jones. <laughs> I'm not making this up. When a member of this community on Patreon sent me the link to this segment, I didn't believe it. I, I thought maybe it was from 2017. Maybe it was doctored. But no, no, no. It was real. And the beauty is, not only are these real people with a real dynasty show, they also despise the Podfather. <laughs> I know you can't wait to hear from Davis Maddock. I get it. But I'm just getting warmed up. As I mentioned, a member of this audience sent us a clip. We can't play the whole clip because it's 30 minutes. I don't know how you spend 30 minutes talking about Zay Jones, but these guys found a way. I don't have their names in front of me. It's something Wayne and big company. Dwayne Wayne. We'll call him Dwayne Wayne from a different world, which is apropos, because you are about to be transported into a different world of dynasty analysis than you've ever known. Zay Jones. Zay my name, Zay my <laughs> name. <laughs> Good singing, boy. Now let me show you how it's done. Zay my name, Zay my name. Okay, okay. Back to the program. Last year I was pretty high on Zay Jones. Coming out of college, how could you not be? Really like well, what I, saw I mean, from there him. was some there was some haters. But oh, well, he's a compiler. Oh, well, he's a compiler. We were we were big on the Zay Jones. We were we were big on the Zay Jones. I don't understand. I'm a, I hate bringing this dude's name up, but Matt Kelly, he doesn't like Zay Jones, and I don't know why. Because if you look at his player profiler page, those the numbers jump up like a dang video game. The, the, the little bars of all the metrics, they just pew 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 shoot up. Do I have to show this guy how to be entertaining in a podcast? It's not zoom, zoom, zoom. That's not how you do it. It's a like, pew, 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 pew
If you're going to do my sound effects, do them right, big company or Dwayne Wayne or whoever you are. If you added some gusto to your podcast, people might actually listen. As we are right now in this one instance, the nonsense continues. Oh, well, he's a compiler. That's because Matt Kelly's game is picking somebody out of the... He wants to find a really good athlete that can he can say is really good that actually didn't do anything. So when he does blow up, he can say, hey, that was my guy. That's his game. We get it. I've seen it, but I've seen it played out many, many times. If you're keeping track at home, there's your first lie from the big company and Dwayne Wayne show. Do we tout great athletes that have never done anything at the college level? Absolutely not. What's the most important metric when evaluating wide receiver prospects? Age-adjusted college dominance. What's that one metric where Zay Jones failed? Age-adjusted college dominance. He was not dominant enough prior to his senior season. And in that dominant senior season, in which he posted over 150 receptions, he did so on a bottom percentile yards per reception because he was fed targets out of the slot against zone coverage. He did not demonstrate an ability to win against man coverage on the outside against top-level competition at the college level. That was why we were avoiding Zay Jones in 2017, making their characterization of my analysis every kind of wrong. But the funny thing is, is to me, is like, Somebody that he likes, the player profile comp is of a stud. Like mm-hmm. if he likes a guy, it comps out to be DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't like a guy, it comps out to be a guy that played like three snaps thirty years ago. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's so funny the way he manipulates the way that that comp, the actual true yeah. comp. Of Guess who Zay Jones's comp is? Trey McBride. Right. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who is Trey yeah. McBride? Wait. You're telling me these guys have a Dynasty League podcast and they don't know who Trey McBride is? The seventh round pick out of William & Mary, whose metrics are almost identical to Zay Jones? They don't know who he is? Are they not familiar with the NFL scouting combine? Are they not familiar with something called the NFL draft? How do you not know who Trey McBride is? Waving around wide receiver prospect ignorance as a badge of honor. Who is Trey yeah. McBride? Who is Trey yeah. McBride? You don't even but know. type in somebody very similar that he likes, right? And all of a sudden, I mean, I mean, who's Richie James's comp? Wait, 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 wait! You guys think that I'm a big Richie James fan now? What? I have never self-identified as a Richie James truther in any way. How are they so bad at this? I mean, who's Richie James's comp? I mean, who's Richie James's comp or somebody like that that he just, oh, he's, you know, the next great one. Uh, Jerry Rice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nice fake laugh after the Jerry Rice joke. Ted Ginn. Huh. Okay. Well, I just picked Richie Ted James. Ginn. I don't know if he likes Richie he ain't James that or not. fast. I don't know if he likes Richie James or not. I was just he trying must to not. find Wait. Wait, now you're admitting you don't know anything? I'm just trying to think of a guy. He, Jerry Rice. <laughs> Big company. You're doing a podcast. Can you just pretend you know what you're talking about? Jerry Rice. <laughs> he's a big no-name guy. If he if he jumps well and yeah. has a good broad jump and he runs fast, and he's going to be a Matt Kelly guy until he does good. Well, although he hates Zay Jones, that's not the only reason that I like Zay Jones. Right. It is a plus. 
Let's take a minute to digest what we've heard. I don't like players until they do good. That's not right. That's not right in any kind of way. That couldn't be further from the truth. No one advocates more strongly for players with strong prospect profiles that have yet to break out at the NFL level. I do not tout players based solely on athleticism. That's another falsehood. But the most egregious lie perpetrated on this podcast is that we manipulate the player comps based on the opinions that I express on the podcast, right? But if these good old Zay Jones lovers are confused about our player comp methodology, then let me lay it out for you. When a player enters the league, they can comp to any player in the database because we haven't seen them perform on an NFL football field yet. That's why Zay Jones comps to non-performer Trey McBride. That's why Calvin Ridley comped to non-performer Jared Abraderis until he began outperforming Abraderis on the football field and then his comp was updated to Marvin Jones. That's how it works. When you enter the league, you have the entire player pool available for comparison purposes. And when just looking at prospect profiles, Calvin Ridley's best comparable player is Jared Abraderis. But when we down-select and we only compare Calvin Ridley to other productive and efficient players at his position, at that point, he is then best comparable to Marvin Jones. And this is not just the case with players that I feel are overrated in fantasy football. Look at Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones' best comparable running back up until recently was Jonathan Grimes. When Aaron Jones was coming out of Texas El Paso, he was best comparable to Jonathan Grimes. Still is as a prospect. But we also factor in on-field production and efficiency. And once that is factored in, Aaron Jones no longer comps to Jonathan Grimes. You will be pleased to know that he now comps to Christian McCaffrey because the available players that he can compare to is now much smaller because he's now a proven producer at the NFL level. That narrows the scope of the player comparison significantly. The next player that will receive an upgraded player comp will likely be Austin Eckler. His best comparable right now is Jordan Todman. And I was much higher on Austin Eckler coming out of Western State. But his player comp is his player comp. It's Jordan Todman. In a vacuum as prospects, that's who he's best comparable to. But Jordan Todman never fired at the NFL level. Austin Eckler is firing as we speak at the NFL level. And that comp will change very soon. That's how it works. So for every player that has a bad comp, I will either show you a bad player or a player without enough experience to justify comping to a good player at the NFL level. But don't let logic get in the way of mischaracterizing my positions, my process, and our methodology on playerprofiler.com. Don't let me get in the way of your lies, big company and Dwayne Wayne Dwayne. And that takes us to the part of the program where the boys just read the internet. He caught so many balls. 399. 399 balls, jeez. 399 balls, jeez. 399 balls, jeez. The boys have closed the internet, and now it's story time. Narratives with Big Company and Dwayne Wayne. He was, I thought he was a willing blocker. I liked his work ethic. He comes from an NFL football family. I, well, like, what else are you looking for in a prospect? Does literally anything else count? So loved all these things. Had the, had the draft pedigree. I think it was a second-round pick. Second, second-round pick. Boom. <laughs> this is where they look up 
what round St. Jones was drafted and are so pleased with themselves that they looked up second round successfully. They gave each other a boom. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, he's fast, he's agile, he's got burst. Speed, burst, agility. They are literally reading off player profiler metrics minutes after mocking player profiler. Frauds. Got burst. He had the terrible offseason. Had the problem in the hotel room. Right. Thought it was a cigarette. Oh, boy. Turned out it was the LSD pill or something. I don't know. (laughs) I think it was probably some fake marijuana or something. Something like that. Some uh, K2. Mm. As the kids, the spice, as the kids like to call Just it. Just get the real stuff. Okay? Right. Here, the boys are second-guessing Zay Jones' drug use with hindsight bias. If it were them, they would have just used the real stuff. Obviously, Zay. It's not like you're being drug-tested ever, right? I mean, as if anyone would actually use synthetic marijuana and not the real stuff if they weren't being drug-tested. It's literally why synthetic marijuana exists. Okay. On to Zay Jones' Bills career. They're sending him in motion a lot. Like, you see him coming across a formation. You see him shifting uh, before the, the, the play snaps. And they're manufacturing some short looks for him, right? Which is, to me, establishing a bit of a PPR floor. Just a quick PPR floor update for Zay Jones. Zero fantasy points last week. He turned what looked like a shallow cross into a deep corner or something. I'm not really sure what they call that route, but he had Buster Screen all turned around. Mm -hmm. The operative word being Buster Screen. Third and nine, you got an eight-yard play plan, and you want to get one yard a yak. or I don't know what, if he made the mistake or what. He's got a brand-new quarterback back there with him. I don't know if that's necessarily a mistake or his or not, but it turned into fourth and one. I think they got a false start or something, fourth and six. They miss a a 54-yard field goal. Okay. Uh, So... You know, I, you know, but he bounced back from that. He comes back, has, has, finds a nice spot in the zone to convert a, convert a first down on the next possession. So you, you see him out there doing good things. He was really good against the zone in, in college. He's really good at working that short, intermediate stuff, compiling catches, and that's. Wait, did he? Did he just? Unless my ears deceive me, Big Company or Dwayne Wayne just confirmed my Zay Jones analysis from East Carolina that he was able to feast in the slot against zone coverage. <laughs> Literally why we discounted his college production. Always a compiler. That's always a compiler. That's because a compiler. That's Matt Kelly's game is, well, first of all, sign me up for a compiler. Right. Damn it, give me all the compilers. Give me Why somebody. Is that a bad thing? Sign me up for somebody that's so good that their college team thinks they need to throw it to him every play. It's only so, bad if you say it like this. He's a compiler. Right. Then exactly. it sounds only, bad. Yeah. But if you say he's a compiler, <laughs> you're like, oh, shit, yeah. I love it. I love it. The inflection is the everything. Tone, man. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I think the way I say compiler is better than compiler. Objectively, the podfather says the word compiler better. Shady's... Just sustaining drives. The defense is playing well. They make the playoffs. He's, right. He's the, the the deep ball wasn't on par for for uh to, Tarod Tarod Tarod. Right. Uh, that's, that's his name. Oh come on! I'm being punked. These guys are critiquing my enunciation. Let that sink in. These guys are not this bad at podcasting. They can't be. How could they be podcasting for this long and be this bad? 
Send me the YouTube link. YouTube it. Send me the Zay link. Jones levitation. Yeah. You will not believe your eyes. Okay. It looks fake. Did it really happen? Yeah. I mean, I might have to do this while we're talking. <laughs> Maybe. You ask me a question and I'll get going. That's what I Let me just stop it. Just enough. You have to understand that I'm not offended by this. I'm offended on behalf of their listeners that have to endure this. Listening to that is punishment. That was half the segment. I just couldn't take it anymore. We're ending it here. It's just too much. Just gibberish. And look up something on the internet and then mispronounce players and fumble around some more. It would be one thing if they were just bad at analyzing players for Dynasty Leagues. That would be one thing. That's most shows, right? Draft capital, right? There's a lot of shows where the hosts get it wrong. Look at Mike Taglier with the Fantasy Pros podcast. Came on Roto Underworld program. Insisted Adam Thielen's not a top 20 wide receiver. And I said, not even top 24? And he was like, well, maybe low-end WR2. Maybe low-end WR2, Mike! So that was the worst take of the year on the Roto Underworld Radio podcast from a professional podcaster because the Fantasy Pros podcast may not have 100% accurate positions because no one is infallible, but at least that show is well-produced. At least Mike Tagliere can speak full sentences without stumbling around and losing his train of thought. The Fantasy Pros podcast is an enjoyable listen. Mike Tagliere is good at his job regardless of his wrong-headed position on Adam Thielen this summer. But these guys are simply bad at podcasting. Look up Richie James. Uh, look up uh, uh, Look up when Zay Jones was drafted. Uh, you got to go to YouTube and see this thing. Well, let me pull it up on YouTube real quick. And then just dead air. That should be the name of this podcast, just dead air. I cut out some of the dead air because it was just that unlistenable. I don't know how anyone listens to these two. It's not just that they spend 30 minutes on Zay Jones. It's that the vast majority of the segment is just these guys stumbling around and saying nothing. Dude, I ask you a question. I know you're just going to go on and on. I go <laughs> you got do time. some research. How much time do you bills. need, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Online banking. Right. Pay the mortgage. Uh, so, you know, I shifting uh, before the, the, the play snaps, you know, but he bounced back from that. He something. I'm not really sure what they call that route, but he's, right. he's the, the the deep ball wasn't on par for for uh to, to Rod to Rod to Rod. Right, uh, that's, that's his name. Second second round pick. Boom. 399 balls. Jeez. Who is Trey yeah. McBride? Uh, I mean, who, who's Richie James's comp? Jerry Rice. <laughs> ah, the greatest hits. From Big Company and Dwayne Wayne. Take a bow, boys. Hell of a podcast, y'all do. <laughs> now back to our program where we talk to people that are good at podcasting, like Davis Maddock. But before we talk to Davis, when you're on that Austin Eckler player page, you know, the one where he's best comparable to Jordan Todman, click that my bookie link on the right. And whatever the props are on my bookie for Austin Eckler this week, take the over and use the promo code UNDERWORLD. Now, let's go talk to my man, Davis Maddock. Follow him at Davis Maddock on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. 
He's here! Davis Mutter! Talk to me. Very, very excited to, uh, you know, get in some good brunch talk. Yes. To be here on one of the best fantasy football podcasts around. It's a flagship station in the fantasy football podcast ecosystem. That is a fact. And we were talking off air, and, and you will hear more of what we said off air at the end of the show and the outtakes. You all know how this works. And we were talking about Patrick Mahomes because how can you not talk about Patrick Mahomes? But in general, this NFL offensive renaissance is enjoyable. We're enjoying it so much that it's wallpapering over controversies like, oh, I don't know, Washington signing Reuben Foster, atrocities like that. Whatever, we're moving on. We just want the next game to happen as soon as possible. When can I watch the next Rams-Chiefs game? How much are you enjoying this offensive renaissance? I mean, I just couldn't love it anymore. I, I sort of rededicated myself to the game of uh, to the game of football over the off season. Good timing, Davis. Yeah, good, great timing because if uh, you know, there was sort of this thing happening with the NFL where a lot a lot of offenses were really dedicating themselves to like short passing and uh, and just like kind of trying to get high efficiency looks, but it was not you know, really was not particularly exciting to anyone. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, uh, it, it's, it's a legitimately fun product to watch. Like you just, you just have fun watching football now, which I think is, is fantastic. Yeah. It was the most perverse extreme version of the West coast offense that we were punished with over the years, particularly with offenses, bad quarterback play or teams that lost their quarterback and they had to default to Brett Hundley, quarterbacks like that. I mean, what are you going to do with a quarterback like that? So I understand why now we have these quarterbacks that are upright, they're healthy, Andrew Locke, Carson Wentz, maybe, Aaron Rodgers, maybe. I don't know, Rodgers, some, someone did something to Rodgers, man. Something's wrong with him, but he, at least he's out there. Yeah. Last year, so many of these quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, go down the list, were out, and we were treated to the Tom Savage show in Houston and that was just savage on the eyes right what lesson did you learn this year that made you a better analyst because I can tell you just from the cursory glimpses and windows into your analysis that I get on a weekly basis wow you're killing it how did you get here so a big thing that uh, I did this year I'll give credit to my my guy uh, Warren Sharp I read his uh, season preview very early on, like kind of right when it came out. And that got me in a really good frame of mind thinking about what makes offenses successful. Uh, also need to give some credit to my guy, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, Frisco Josh. The idea that uh, that defenses don't matter or that focusing too much on defenses for predicting the outcomes of games, I think more than anything else has been super helpful to me as an analyst. But Josh Hermsmeyer gets mocked for that opinion. Well, sure, you know, and I think that uh, Josh in classic Josh ways, he certainly, he likes to push the envelope. He likes to make people mad. And I think he gets a lot of joy out of these people being like, oh, well, you don't play DFS. You don't know anything. And he also gets uh, a lot of fun out of, he knows that matchup. Jeez, I don't know how that feels. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know. But he, he knows that matchups matter. And we talked about that on my podcast. We talked about the idea that matchups matter and that you need to be able to predict what the opposing offenses do. But I think the idea of like fading a running back 
back because the opposing team's run defense is good is that's just a that's just bad process it's not good yeah and josh will say provocative things out to the furthest extreme to prove a point but you don't necessarily take that literally he's proving a point to get that position out there and get as many clicks and eyeballs on that position and get people talking. But those that take him literally and mock him for it are missing the larger point. And I know exactly how he feels once again. I don't know how it feels to be Patrick Mahomes. I would love to know how that feels to just be on top of a sport and not only any sport, but the gladiator spectacle in the world. That's where Patrick Mahomes currently sits. He has more fantasy points per game currently than Todd Gurley. And I know it's a quarterback, so it doesn't matter as much. But that's a a lot of fantasy points per game. 27 fantasy points per game. Is he on a trajectory to be the best quarterback of all time? No question to me. I think think that if he sustains this level of play... Uh, I think that he he's on the Rogers pace where it's like you watch him and you're just like, I can't even believe that these things are happening in front of me. Like, it just feels absurd that these things are going on. And uh, the, the crazy thing about him is that truly we have not seen him unleash what we know he can do as a runner. Ooh, he is fast. He can move, and that's something that is it's it's genuinely unexploited. They don't do a ton of like draws with him. They don't do like a ton of option plays, and they absolutely could. That's like totally something that they could choose to do. He runs a four eight forty, but look at the agility score ten ninety six agility score. So this guy did the three cone and the twenty yard shuttle. He blazed in the ninety fifth percentile among NFL quarterbacks. He's a great athlete. He's shifty. That's what you would say. He's so shifty. I love how shifty he is. And it's not crazy to say he's on a trajectory to be the best quarterback of all time because every five years we have a new best quarterback of all time. Oh, it was it was Dan Marino, and then it was Steve Young, and then it was John Elway, and then it was Brett Favre, and then it was Peyton Manning, and then it was Tom Brady, and then it was Aaron Rodgers, and now it's... Patrick Mahomes. This isn't a big deal. This isn't a major leap to say this is the trajectory he's on because this is the evolution of the sport that we're watching. Tyreek Hill is also the furthest evolution of the field stretcher plus player. Right. Yes. Now he's well over 20 fantasy points per game and he's getting the most out of a player that size that we've seen. But this week, he's also the most expensive wide receiver in DFS. Patrick Mahomes is by far and away the most expensive quarterback in DFS. For that reason, are you off the Mahomes-Hill stack this week? No, I think every week they are like probably the one, like the number one tournament option because no quarterback wide receiver pairing can like legit combine for 90 points. And they, they can. That's like absolutely a thing that they can do. But what if I prefer Kareem Hunt, Kansas City defense this week? Is that crazy? Because this is the week to play Kareem Hunt with the Kansas City defense. I mean, if I could find a week on the schedule that screams Hunt, Chiefs defense, it would be this week. Right. They're a 14-point favorite. On the road. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I think it's so perfect. But because they're on the road, you like the quarterback and the wide receiver even a little bit more on the road. But geez, man, it's really hard to justify playing the most expensive wide receiver on the slate in any contest, especially this year. Whether it's tournament or cash games, the running backs are really the the driving engine behind these lineups. 
they always are like and this goes back to like the 2016 season where it was david johnson and uh David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell every week. It's it's very similar to me. It's just that the running backs are just going to be the most consistent source of points always. Right, so paying all the way up for wide receiver rarely makes sense, and it also makes sense that the one guy that they would put on the top with the highest salary on DraftKings would be Tyreek Hill because you can make a legitimate argument that you play him anyway because of his upside in tournaments, that's why the DK pricing is more rational than the FanDuel pricing. Well, the FanDuel pricing is just like it's very rarely super dynamic. Like it just that just kind of, guys kind of just stay at their salary range for a while. That's just the way they do things. They get forgotten about. Yeah. I feel like there are players in the FanDuel salary pool that are just socks, mismatched socks that have been left in the dryer. Yeah, like every once in a while, you'll be going through the player prices, and you'll just be like, I don't understand how this guy was here. Why is he still here? Right. He's out for the year. What are you doing? Why is Joe Flacco still priced? Like, it doesn't make sense. No, it, it makes it makes no sense, and they just leave. And it's just, it's. I mean, it's been that way as long as I can remember. Now, I remember a time when so many football analysts thought that Leonard Fournette was a smart pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> Not long ago. And you still have a few people screaming, he changed the identity of this team. Remember 2017 when we made the playoffs. But has there ever been a worse pick than Fournette over Mahomes in the history of football? Uh, Well, the Jaguars taking the punter that time. That was pretty bad. But they missed on Mahomes, man. And it's one thing to miss on Mahomes with a franchise left tackle. It's one thing to miss on Mahomes with a generational edge rusher. But on a running back, man, and on a running back that doesn't catch passes, what are you doing? It's not great. It's not great, Bob. Those guys are still out there running teams, Davis. It's not a good look. That's what the that's what the kids would say. Tom Coughlin is out here running another NFL franchise into the ground, building a roster as if it's 1970 when Patrick Mahomes is out here throwing for 500 yards and five touchdowns. Like That's what's going on. It's still happening. Tom Coughlin informed Dave Gettleman in 2018. There's a close relationship between those two teams, and the Giants selected Saquon Barkley. Now, that at least is a more defensible pick because he can catch passes and he's just a better all-around running back in every way than Leonard Fournette. Right. Is Saquon Barkley on a trajectory to be the greatest running back of all time? I mean, he might end up accumulating like a lot of stats. Like he like right, he might just end up getting a lot of stats kind of the same way that like Adrian Peterson accumulated a bunch of stats and a bunch of records, but he was never on a I don't know, were any of those Vikings teams ever that good? I think he I think he's won two playoff games in his career. So this is the problem with Saquon Barkley, right? That he's doomed to play on the Giants for the foreseeable future. He's going to burn up his rookie contract on the Giants, and that can't be overstated. And yet somehow he's still a top fantasy option. Just imagine Saquon Barkley on literally any other team, Davis. I do think it actually is kind of he's kind of uniquely positioned because the team is so they have they have to justify that selection. So I don't actually think that uh, being on the Giants is like fantasy Siberia for him simply because they're going to give him the ball more than any other team would because no other team would have to justify the selection that they made. He's number one in the league in evaded tackles. 
He's number six in juke rate, evaded tackles per touch. He's number six in total breakaway runs. He's also top 15 in breakaway run rate. He's number one in yards created. He's number one in dominator rating. This guy is an advanced metrics machine. He's the best running back I've ever seen. And I think that it's only going to get better for him. I mean, the run blocking efficiency, 64.3 on player profiler, is number 60 in the NFL. So he's getting no run blocking and yet creating 483 yards all on his own. Over time, that offensive line is going to improve. They're going to get better quarterback play, and he's just going to keep getting better and better. I'm very excited about what Saquon Barkley can be. And no matter what you traded for him in Dynasty, if you're a man and you traded a left testicle, if you're a woman and you traded a left ovary, it was a good trade. Give yourself a hand. All those people that put those godfather offers out there in Dynasty for Saquon Barkley and found a way to roster Saquon Barkley for his lifetime in football in a Dynasty League, great job. Applause to anyone who did it. Because you, you got rewarded with what is going to be one of the best fan Like, he'll be one of the top five best fantasy assets for at least the next four years. He was very expensive. It was very difficult to acquire the number one pick in Dynasty this past year or to acquire Saquon Barkley at any point throughout this offseason. You needed to give up a truckload. You need to back a truck up, literally back up with the beep, 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 beep. Ooh, I got that beep just right, didn't I? I got that. I got that just right. I really nailed that beep. I was transported. It took me a few beeps, but I got it. Those people made the right move. It's great. Until he gets hurt. Why, man? Why? Why'd you do, why'd you do that? Because running backs get hurt, man. They just get they just get tackled so much more than other players. Come on, man. We're just trying to enjoy some Saquon Barkley over here. I I mean I I get it. Odell Beckham. What if he had a quarterback? What if what if, I, he, he would be not only if he had a good quarterback, but what if he got used like Tyree kill where he was getting flips around the goal line and he was running nine routes oh and he God. just was kind of every play was not wasted energy for him. He wasn't running horrible routes. What if Odell Beckham had a quarterback and a creative offensive coordinator? Right. What if what if the Rams found a way to trade for Odell Beckham instead of Brandon Cooks? Oh, oh. Oh! Sorry, go ahead. But yes, you are right. Yeah, there's no analysis there. We're just, <laughs> we're just talking about how amazing it would be and how doomed he is in New York. Do you think that he will agitate for a trade at any point? I'm here for it. I'm here for the drama. I want everything that's happening in the NBA in the offseason to also happen in the NFL. The NFL needs to learn from the NBA create a player compensation structure that empowers the players because that actually creates a lot more conversations in the offseason and a lot more interest in the sport. So they should learn from what the NBA is doing so that they can stop seeding the offseason to the NBA. They will They will never do it because the NFL owners don't want to lose control. They don't want to have a restrictive cap system. This is what the NFL does. Even while mismanaging their player safety for years, finally acquiescing and implementing some real player safety rules, doing it begrudgingly helped resurrect the sport to what it is now. This is a bungle-proof league, and the sport itself is so compelling. The league is immune from even the worst management. Confirmed true. It's crazy. 
talk about Saquon Barkley. A player that's a lot like Saquon Barkley is Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is just Saquon Barkley light. If Saquon Barkley were 30 pounds lighter, he'd be Christian McCaffrey, right? I talked about this on a podcast yesterday with uh, Pat Fitzmaurice, Fitz on Fantasy. Yeah. And McCaffrey is actually, he's not really a great runner, just like, just as a pure, like you hand him the ball and you wait for him to get 10 yards or whatever. But he is like just so dynamic as a receiver that I think he is the, like, I certainly would not have spent the pick on him, but I do think, I do think that he is like one of the, you know, five or six best running backs simply because he, he actually adds a ton of value as a receiver because he, he gets down the field and he generates a ton of yards after the catch. Yeah, it's like Alvin Kamara, but for some reason he hasn't been viewed in recent weeks as Alvin Kamara was viewed early in the season when he had that backfield to himself. Christian McCaffrey has this backfield to himself. There's no more C.J. Anderson. What are you waiting for? Why was Christian McCaffrey not higher owned last week in DFS? I don't know. I that I guess because people took Saquon, some people took James Conner. I had I had McCaffrey a lot, so uh, was uh, it worked out for me? And I just think I don't know. People kind of think that you know he doesn't score touchdowns because he doesn't get those goal line carries. So I think that kind of plays into it. Those people are wrong. Aaron Jones, top ten running back in the league. Um, no, no, he's not for me. What about Austin Eckler? What's his ceiling while Melvin Gordon is out? I mean, his ceiling is doing what Melvin does, just because I don't think Melvin is... Do you think Melvin Gordon is that good? No, I think Melvin Gordon was a compiler at the college level because he played at Wisconsin behind one of the best offensive lines, but he is skilled. It's a symbiotic relationship. It's not all the offensive line. It's not all the talent of the runner. It's a combination of both. At Wisconsin, he was one of the most prolific running backs in college football history. He was underrated for a period of time because he was so inefficient at the NFL level because he was running behind a bottom five offensive line for numerous years. Now, he has at least an average offensive line, and he's in an offense where they do not have a number two receiver of consequence. They don't have a tight end they want to throw to. Their number two receiving options are field stretchers or players like Mike Williams that just simply can't command a full snap share for whatever reason. So he steps into this opportunity vacuum and he becomes a 25 fantasy points per game running back based somewhat on his skills, but a lot on the system and the opportunity that he's standing on. So you airdrop Austin Eckler in that situation. He's a better receiver than Melvin Gordon. And I don't believe that a player needs to weigh 220 pounds to carry a full workload. Philip Lindsay is disproving that very nicely in Denver. So Austin Eckler's ceiling is Melvin Gordon. Especially because there's not that much time left in the year. So it, there's not that many games for him to wear down. And he, I believe that Austin Eckler was injured and missed a couple games. Am I wrong on that? I don't remember Austin Eckler missing any games. Did he miss games this year? I think possibly he missed some time. He did not miss any time. We have a medical history report on playerprofiler.com. All right, well, there we go. He's been getting a couple touches here and there, but somehow, someway, Melvin Gordon cannibalized all his touches. He just ate them all up. He said, you know what? I, I get that you're getting some, some targets in the passing game, <laughs> and that's really cute, Austin. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and take all of those. Well, now I think Austin Eckler is going to take all of them back. I know that there's worry that Justin Jackson 
is going to somehow siphon away at least targets in the passing game from Austin Eckler. No way, man. This team has already proven that they are comfortable installing a running back in a full-blown workhorse role and giving them bell cow touches in all phases. And I think that's going to be Austin Eckler. And I think that he's going to be the guy that wins people fantasy championships this year. A few years ago, remember the second half that C.J. Anderson had? where if you didn't have Le'Veon Bell that year, you had to have C.J. Anderson in order to be competitive in fantasy football. I think it could be one of those type of years for Austin Eckler because when you go to his profile on player profile, yeah, it's what you have with Philip Lindsay in that he was an exceptional athlete who went undrafted because of biases against small running backs from small schools. If you're a small running back from a small school, you need to be prepared to not get drafted, even though it's irrational. He was dominant at Western State. That does sound like a fake school. I get it. But lately, though, there's been more rational decision-making from player personnel executives in the NFL, and you have Anito Smith getting drafted in the fourth round. So hopefully... The emergence of Philip Lindsay, the emergence of Austin Eckler in the weeks ahead that will help to correct this misperception right. of the small, athletic, small school backs as not being worthy of being drafted. It's just absurd. Philip Lindsay, even a platform as hyper-rational as DraftKings, refuses to move Philip Lindsay's salary up. Why? I think part of the reason why Lindsey's salary doesn't go up as much is because he doesn't he's not he doesn't get a ton of work in the passing game and that's just a big part of the DK algorithm so I think that's kind of why that happens. He was a phenomenal receiver at Colorado. He had over 40 receptions at the college level. I think we found an inefficiency in the DK pricing algorithm. They don't go back to college. They don't go to player profile or look at that college target share. That can help you mine value on DraftKings. Yeah, whoever whoever is in charge uh, at DraftKings of the salaries for NFL should have player profiler bookmarked. That's right. Now, under what scenario would you play Gronk in DFS? Uh, I wouldn't. Oh, this is, I just want to isolate that, that initial reaction. I just love so much your reflex response. <laughs> just stammering. Like, like you just... I thought you might have some kind of seizure at the idea of playing Gronk at DFS. How quickly times have changed. It's so hard for me because I've been a Gronk backer for, you know, just honestly, as long as I can remember. And it's just, he, man, he just is, he doesn't have it anymore. He, I know he scored last week, but he had like four targets. I could hear the conflict in your voice. It was magical. Is there a better GPP value this week than Sony Michelle? No, it's Sony, man. Isn't it? Sony Michelle, just press play. Yeah, he kind of seems like uh, just the, the perfect New England Corey Dillon, uh, you know, Jonas Gray, uh, I can't even remember all the guys they've ran out in that role, but he just, he fits that grinder role perfect. And he can catch, he can catch passes a little bit. And he's explosive. So even if you're merely explosive Jonas Gray, I'm very interested, especially if we can project positive game script. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is. Yes, I know the Vikings will be competitive in that game, but it's at home. So it's a home game. That means Sony Michelle, book it. Get him in your lineup. Yeah, I've I've played him. He needs to be the starting point when you're building your tournament running back core this week. Yeah, I've used him. I've used him a bunch, uh, even on DraftKings, which does not you know uniquely reward his skill set or anything. I still like I've still used him generally pretty much every week that he's been healthy and in the lineup. And 
Kirk Cousins' protection rate is low, so you can also justify stacking Sony with the Patriots' defense. He gets the, the running back defense correlation stack, and not a lot of people will be playing the Patriots' defense. So there's a little ownership edge for you, plus some correlation. You're welcome. Now, Joe Flacco, will he play another snap in Baltimore? He shouldn't. Maybe he will, but I don't think he should. Don't you like these questions? Don't you like me giving you just standard sports radio questions instead of always with the DFS questions? Isn't it a nice change? You get to work that muscle a little bit. If I went on like 810 sports here in Kansas City, this is the stuff they would ask me, which I'm, I'm loving it. But of course, we're going to come back to a, a DFS question. Is Kirk Cousins a trap on DK this week? I just like, uh, I pretty much don't play anyone other than um, whoever is starting at quarterback for Tampa Bay or Breeze or Mahomes on DK. I think I think maybe one week all year I've gone outside of that paradigm. How about Andrew Luck? Can I convince you to play Andrew Luck this week? So the thing about Luck is I would just rather play Lamar. Lamar gets after it, man. His floor game is like 20 points. You know he's more expensive than Andrew Luck. They're they're right next to each other. They're $100 off, but yeah. I know there's $100, but in general, on principle, I'm just telling you, Davis, it seems a little crazy to play Lamar Jackson over Andrew Luck in any scenario in 2018 when Andrew Luck is less expensive. You know about the Konami code. Just running quarterbacks are just better for fantasy sports. They just they just have the ability to add more. And we haven't even seen Lamar do anything as a passer yet. And I do think he has a little bit of that left in his locker. Lamar Jackson is at Atlanta. And Atlanta will give it up to opposing quarterbacks. There will be points on the board that need to be scored by Lamar Jackson. How else are they going to score them? Right? They're going to go through Lamar Jackson to score them. My problem with Lamar Jackson is I really want to play Gus Edwards. Cash is a completely different animal where you can hedge. You can play a quarterback and a running back together. You rarely want to do that. In a tournament, you're betting on a particular game flow and a game script. So I would not play Sony Michelle with Tom Brady. That doesn't make sense. I'm betting on the Patriots getting up big and then it being the Sony Michelle show in the second half. I so want to play Gus Edwards in all formats that I think that that partially is what excluded me from thinking about Lamar Jackson as much. And I think you've corrected that. So thank you. Do you think that Edwards has pass catching upside that he has not shown yet? I don't think it matters at these price points. It doesn't rise after one good week on DraftKings. That's the beauty of it. You can play your free square backs multiple weeks on DraftKings before the price actually corrects. So he's 4,800. All I'm looking for is 100 yards and a touchdown. 100 yards and two touchdowns if, if you really want to have some fun. But he's very capable of that. And I don't necessarily need the pass catching upside. He catches, what, maybe two for 20 yards, maybe gets a touchdown on a screenplay. Who knows? I mean, you always want to say, you always want to have a little bit of that floor, I think. So I think that you definitely do want that to some extent. You don't, because you want to have multiple outs with all your guys. You want to have multiple ways that they can get to the point total that you need. So like, you know, Gus Edwards game could get a little bit higher scoring. Maybe Ty Montgomery comes in and all of a sudden, like you're looking at like 13 carries for 47 yards. And, you know, that's not uh, that's not getting your engine revving per se. So you don't like him in either cash or GPPs then? I need to look at it a little bit more, and I need to see how many routes he ran last week. Because if he's running routes and just not getting targets, then I think the upside is there. My argument would be that he would be a cash game play that would get you to the most expensive running backs on the board. If you want to play Gurley and McCaffrey, then he would be a keystone to get you there with, I think, a safe floor. Yeah. 
but you're saying the floor isn't there because the targets aren't there, so he's actually not a cash game play. And I actually don't love him in tournaments because I don't think the upside is there unless he catches more passes. So I'm more thinking about the pass catching being a detriment in tournaments where you're thinking about the lack of targets actually being more of a problem in cash games suppressing his floor. Well, because you still need to you still need to run good to get a touchdown. Like touchdowns are not just given away for free. You know what I'm saying? So like it like you can't just project a guy for a touchdown. Like Edwards is probably fine if he scores. He should have scored last week, man. Yeah, he had over 25 carries. He had over 100 yards. That to me is a floor. It's a floor. I just think that you have to be reasonably confident that he scores or at least has decent equity at a score in order to want to play him in cash. And then you get to the problem where there's Lamar Jackson taking it in from the five yard line. Right. Ah, (laughs) that's it. Crossing off Gus Edwards. Thank you, Davis. But defenses do matter. Part of the reason you're playing Gus Edwards is because they're going to be playing Atlanta. Like, this is a good thing that he's playing Atlanta. We know defenses matter, but we both agree that defenses are overemphasized by most DFS analysts. That's the larger point, right? Uh, certainly, yeah. I, I, they, that definitely is a thing, to, to be certain. So are you playing T.Y. Hilton this week? Am I playing T.Y. Hilton this week? His price is way down on DraftKings because DraftKings knows that the average DFS player is very matchup sensitive. Yes, I will be playing him this week. So they will bring those prices down on a T.Y. Hilton in particular matched up with Jalen Ramsey. So you get a lot of upside for the dollar this week with T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I, I think he will be a a he will be a centerpiece of my tournament lineups. Love that. I love that. So we care about Jalen Ramsey if he even plays. But what about safety play? Is safety play as underrated as cornerback play is overrated? What an interesting question. I mean, safeties, bad safeties, really make it easy for opposing defenses to throw deep to get over the top. Yeah, that is true. So if you look at safety ratings, if you have a team with multiple safeties, say in the top 15, then it's going to be harder for those wide receivers to get over the top. It's not all about metrics, man. Sometimes it's about heuristics and just thinking scenarios through logically. Put yourself in the shoes of a quarterback. He's dropping back to pass. He's unsure if that wide receiver that looks open is actually going to be open because he's seen so much film on these quality safeties taking throws away. So what's going to happen when he drops back? He's going to be more likely to dump the ball off. Yes. So if a team has quality safety play, you can go ahead and increase your target projections on the running backs in particular. That's a way that you can use safety play to your advantage in a way that's not necessarily straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... This is very inside baseball or whatever. Like this is like this is a level of like this is the highest possible level that people think about daily fantasy sports. And I don't even necessarily know if you have to think about it this deep to win. Just look at last week, man. You can go team by team by team. The best safeties in the NFL and look at the running back targets. You want to explain Christian McCaffrey's big week 12? I give you Earl Thomas. I think that's reasonable. 
I'm not saying run out to the extreme. I'm saying, hey, this might be an input factor that's interesting. So look into it more. I'm not telling you this is the skeleton key. There is no skeleton key. There's just different weights that you put on different input factors. And this might be something to consider. That's all we're saying. I buy it. I do. I do buy it. Would you go any higher than Adam Thielen in cash this week? No, I wouldn't. Generally, I don't really pay up for these guys anyways. Like, I think uh, I, I generally kind of gravitate towards, you know, one of the Rams guys, whether it be Cooks or Woods. I uh, really like Galladay this week. Um, really like T.Y. Hilton this week. Uh, so generally, and like uh, Corey Davis, 5,500, just, uh, you know, sign me up for that again. For all the reasons you like Galladay in tournaments this week, you should also like Galladay in cash. That's the fallacy of DFS is like, you know, I I like him so much in tournaments, so he can't be a cash play. Wait a second. Those two things aren't always mutually exclusive. Upside matters in cash, bro. Upside totally matters in cash. And I think if you're not thinking about it that way, you're thinking about the game wrong. Because thinking about things in terms of median projections is not necessarily the best way to win. And yet still, firing up Julio Jones in cash is dumb. We know that. They're playing Baltimore. That's the team that gives up the least fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. And Julio Jones is priced over 75K on DraftKings. It can be very difficult to fit him in a lineup. And then with that matchup, I mean, we're not out here trying to be heroes. We're just trying to make rational decisions on the margins to be nominally better than the next guy. Right. But in tournaments, right? Julio Jones at 7,700 at home. I mean, what? I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't this the week to play the wide receivers with the impossible matchups for the win? I mean, yeah, just in general, that's like a good tournament winning strategy is just like fade the like fade the hard, you know, the difficult defensive matchup or whatever. That's like that's the way to do it. But there's been no better week as an example than this week with Julio Jones against Baltimore and T.Y. Hilton against Jacksonville. I mean, this is the week that will prove our case once and for all. Yeah, put them both in the same lineup and just, uh, you know, print. Ride it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. So let's play a game. What happened to Player X? I'm going to modulate it anyway to make it sound cool. Right. But I still felt the need to change my voice anyway. Manually. What happened to David Johnson? Bad team, bad coach. What happened to James White? He just was never that good of a player, but the team the team needed someone who could do his th- the things that he can do. Sony Michelle happened to James White. Look at the Sony Michelle James White splits. You're not going to get James White from week five. That James White's not walking through that door as long as Sony Michelle is active. Correct. Yeah, 100%. What happened to Tevin Coleman? Oof. I just think Atlanta has taken a step back as an offense overall, and they're using him less in the passing game for whatever reason. I, you know, I don't know exactly what that reason might be, but that's what happened to Tevin Coleman. I feel so dirty getting bailed out by these random Tevin Coleman touchdowns that I don't right. deserve. I love Tevin yeah. Coleman. I used bad process to play Tevin Coleman, and then I feel dirty when it works out and I don't deserve it. No, don't ever, don't ever feel bad for getting there. I do, man. I do sometimes. I admit it. I'm human. Can't feel bad about getting there. What happened to Rashad Penny? He's not getting there. Uh, I just, I mean, I don't know. He was never really that good. What happened to Josh Gordon? I just think the Patriots—they're just like not that good of an offense, right? Like they're 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 just okay, 
and uh, Brady can't sling the ball deep, which is like, if you go back and watch that year with McCown and Gordon, it was just all him mashing these, like getting these deep catches. Like he, that's what he was doing. That was like so successful. Maybe the most underrated quarterback in NFL history, Josh McCown did not get an opportunity in the league until age 35. And all he does is produce when called upon, even with the worst wide receiver core in the league, he will find a way to matriculate the ball downfield. Confirms true. What happened to Alshon Jeffrey? Oh, the Eagles offense is just bad. They just, they don't, they're not doing anything right. I think, I still think like he's like a fine fantasy asset because he's good at scoring touchdowns, but, uh, and, and also he's older and slower. So that definitely matters. Like he's just, he's like, he's a full step slower than he was in Chicago. He's a lesser version of Alshon Jeffrey. And there's a theme. What happened to Josh Gordon? Well, look to Tom Brady. What happened to Alshon Jeffrey? Well, <laughs> look to Carson Wentz. But you can't blame Baker Mayfield for what happened to Jarvis Landry. No, Jarvis was just never that good. Oh, I love this. That's getting a correct answer sound effect. <laughs> What happened to this Marquez Valdez Scantling I was hearing so much about, Davis? R.I.P., man. <laughs> right? Damn it! I was so ready for Valdez Scantling to become what Janice should have been, but uh, I, I guess the issue now is something is in the... I don't know what's going on in Green Bay. I don't know if Rodgers is just pissed at McCarthy. I don't know if everyone around Rodgers is bad, so he's regressing. Rodgers like, leads the NFL in throwaways. He's so averse to turning the ball over to the offense's detriment. There's going to be a coup d'etat. I don't even know what accent that is, but that's going to happen in Green Bay. What the hell happened to Jeff Janis, man? Man, I don't know. I've been trying to contact him to get him to come on my podcast, and he's just like not even on the face of the earth. I don't even know how to get a hold of him. He used to respond to my DMs. You've DM'd with him? Yeah, he used to. He used to get back to me, but he has not. He has not in a while. Wait, that means he follows you? He does follow me. Oh my god, that's amazing. Have I been this jealous ever in my life? Wow. He's like he's like vaguely aware of who I am. I love that. I love that because he's just hunting. He doesn't care about social media. He's like it's like amazing, man. He just like he is he's just a country boy who just happens to be built like white Julio Jones. <sighs> we can agree that the NFL did him wrong. The NFL definitely did him wrong. He like he's a he's a good guy. He worked hard. He like it's not like he was showing up to practice and like, you know, being a problem or like annoying people or whatever. You can't tell me that he wouldn't be a more productive asset for an NFL team than Andre fucking Holmes. Get out of here. Deontay Thompson, stop signing players that can't help you in any phase of football and get Jeff Janis on your roster if for no other reason than he can help on special teams. He, and that's the thing. That's what's really annoying to me. Is it's so annoying. He was a, a good special teamer. He was a gunner. He returned punts. He returned kicks. He did all of it. Um, you know, just it, it, even if not at a... Uh, above average clip he was at least league average at returning kicks but he was a a good like a just not a, no sarcasm good punt gunner i want to start a franchise an expansion franchise with colin kaepernick and jeff janice and all of these terrific football players that the nfl for various reasons has jettisoned unfairly 
I, I would like to know the story as to why the Browns thought Janice was like not worth keeping over, you know, these like Damian Ratley. It doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense that not one of the 31 teams that has access to the film when Green Bay beat Arizona in the playoffs, everyone has access, right? It's not in some secret vault somewhere. Everyone can pull it up on their computer. And then with the available free agents, just call him. Just pick up the phone. He would say yes. He would play at the league minimum. He loves the game. He loves the sport. He's in a tree stand somewhere waiting for someone to fucking call him. He's definitely in a tree stand or like uh, his wife like does like a, a home cooking blog. So he's probably like helping her out with that. You know, just being a good family man. He actually just had a kid. Thinking about Jeff Janis at home cooking with his wife makes me sad. I, I've ever wanted an athlete to succeed more. I, I have pure and unconditional love for Jeff Janis. It's almost a little bit better that he's getting screwed and that he didn't just peter out of the league two years from now. I actually prefer it this way, that forever I can have that unfalsifiable hypothetical Yeah. in my mind of what happened if someone that actually believed in him and knew how to use him signed him. Yeah, I think I think the issue in Green Bay is that he kind of just never developed the trust of Rodgers and the coaching staff. And then they never gave him an opportunity to develop that trust with Baker Mayfield. But I think he could have. I think Baker Mayfield, of all quarterbacks, could really use Jeff Janis. I think if there's a quarterback out there that could figure out a way to get this guy involved and help him win football games in Cleveland, it would have been Baker Mayfield. It's heartbreaking. I was also heartbroken over Amari Cooper. His career was about to be over. He was about to be in a tree stand with Jeff Janis, and then he got traded to Dallas, and now he's back! Is this the real Amari Cooper? Well, I just think he's a very good fit for that offense. He knows, like, Scott Linehan wants his receivers to run these, like, really annoying, short, like, kind of timing heavy routes. And Cooper's actually really good at that. So I think he landed in a spot that was, like, pretty optimal for him. Amari Cooper is back in our Dynasty Top 20. And if he continues to produce, you'll see him back in the Top 10 before too long. Trey Quinn, is he the number one receiver in Washington? Well, he plays the slot, but, uh, I mean, he's probably better than Doxon, right? So, yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. That Doxon's not going to happen. That's a weird thing, man. If I built an X receiver in a lab, he would look a lot like Josh Doxon. Yes. He'd look a lot like Kenny Galladay. You put Kenny Galladay, Josh Doxon next to each other. These are similar players, similar age, similar athletic profiles. One guy understands the nuances of the game and can translate his athletic gifts into on-field production, Kenny Galladay. The other guy cannot. And that's the thing that's going to continue to stimulate me as a football analyst into perpetuity. It's that dichotomy that was not apparent on draft day. And now watching it play out, it's that problem that I will be perpetually trying to solve. I don't have an answer. I, I don't have a good inside football answer as to why some guys get it and some guys don't. And maybe that is, you know, not understanding as much about the game as I should. It's not. No, I, I don't think so. No, we know as much about the game as anybody, man. It's you can never know everything. And it's that thirst for knowledge, that quest that drives us, Davis. Kenny Galladay. What is his upside now that he has that passing game to himself? I mean, he could be he can be easily like the, you know, the fourth or fifth best wide receiver in football. I don't think there's any reason that he can't be. Top five receiver with T.Y. Hilton, with Julio Jones and Kenny Galladay, such attractive options in tournaments. It makes it a little bit harder to fit in Brandon Cooks. There's so many wide receivers you want to play this week in GPPs. It's crazy. You're going to find a way to play Cooks, right? Yeah, I mean, I might play I might play Cooks in cash. 
Oh, oh, see, that's the thing. I'm so wired in a way that I would play Woods over Cooks, and I don't think that's necessarily rational. I always leave myself the option because they always play in the late game. I actually don't know if they are this week, but they always play in the late game. So you just always leave yourself that swap. And if you're chasing, you go Cooks. Tactical mid-slate adjustments. This is why you're on the show, man. This is also why you're doing so well. I mean, results follow processes, man. Results follow processes. And it's those little things. It's the little attention to detail maneuvers that can make a difference. And you're killing it this year. And that's one of the reasons why. It provides people a window into why you're having such a successful season. That swap is actually the, it saved me. I know I can think off the top of my head, it saved me at least one week, but probably even more. Cause I, there's been, like I've been chasing a couple times and uh, you know, those guys have been there for me. If I'm chasing, I want Brandon Cooks, baby. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, that's easily true. Like just if you look at them as players, Cooks just has that upside in a way that I do. Well, and I could be wrong. No, you're right. You're right. This is why player profiler exists. We're here to help illuminate that upside right yeah totally how much better is dj more than calvin ridley so much better so much like not nah, there they are two different echelons of of talent i can't add anything to that that was perfect will Cortland sutton ever erupt i'm getting impatient davis yeah, I don't know. Like, it's kind of tough for me too, because I was kind of a Keenum truther in the sense that, like, I didn't think I didn't think Keenum was bad, and certainly he's had some bad games this year. But I think he's not a bad quarterback, and I think that uh, eventually that offense will kind of figure out a way to use Sutton's skills. Because Sutton is he's not um, he's like the word I'm look he's not like super shifty. He's not like he's a very different player than Sanders, and that offense is really based on getting the ball to Sanders. As it should be. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't even disagree with that. I just want to see Cortland Sutton put in a position to score fantasy points. He leads the league in yards per reception, and he has some of the best size-adjusted athleticism in the league. I want to see that player unlocked for aesthetic reasons as much as quantitative fantasy football reasons. Right, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, like... It's he's the sort of guy that you kind of have to figure out what you want to do with him before you really unlock it. And I don't think that coaching staff has done that. And they keep pricing him at 4,400, just tempting me, temp, just teasing. Okay, one more game. Rapid fire, tight end. Who'd you rather? Eric Ebron or Rob Gronkowski the rest of the way? I think I know your answer. Ebron. Of course it's Ebron, but I wanted to ask this question just because it's fun to ask questions that if you had asked them three months earlier, the person on the receiving end of the question would have looked at you like you're an alien. Right, yeah. I love questions like that. Just would have been absurd three months ago. Now it's just the world we live in. We live in a world where Eric Ebron is a hell of a lot more valuable than Rob Gronkowski, and you just need to eat it. Now that Doyle is on the injured reserve, I think Ebron might be the third best tight end the rest of the way to own in fantasy. Oh, Eric Ebron, league winner. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think he'll he'll be out there more like 60% of the snaps now, maybe even more than that. And it's just like, it's not even going to be close how much better he's going to be the rest of the season. You can't name the Colts' second receiver. You just can't do it because it changes every week. Last week it was Dontrell Lindman. The week before it was Chester Rogers. The week before it was Ryan Grant. Nobody knows who it is. Why? Because it's actually Eric Ebron. And uh, depending on this injury to Marlon Mack, it's also going to be a little bit of Naheem Hines action. Oh, yeah. Cameron Brait or David Njoku the rest of the way? Um, Njoku. Really? I think that what's happening in Cleveland now is they, they've taken a more egalitarian approach to the offense. And in any egalitarian offense, Jarvis Landry's not going to get more than seven targets a game. That's right. If it's a true meritocracy, the targets will funnel to David Njoku. He's their best receiver. Yeah, and I think Callaway looks, uh, he looked, he's looked encouraging since who Jackson left town and Freddie Kitchens has been calling the plays. He's 21 years old, Davis. Let the 21 year old go out there and drop some passes and don't dismiss him as bad. Man, I don't know. I, I was certainly in the camp that thought he, he was going to, I thought he was at least a project because he looked horrible in those, like, you know, kind of those first five games. I said the same thing. I'm a total hypocrite. Yeah. Janu Smith or Greg Olson the rest of the way? Greg Olson. I do like I do like Janu, though, and uh, I had him in that showdown slate when he scored the other night, so that was pretty nice. Bingo. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's Greg Olson. He's like actually kind of the de facto second wide receiver right now because all these guys are banged up and they don't want to they they're not ready to give DJ Moore starting wide receiver work just yet. Don't forget about Greg Olson the rest of the way. Very smart. Now, here's another absurd question. That's actually not absurd at all. Dan Arnold or Evan Ingram the rest of the way? Dan Arnold. Yes! Yes! I love it! He's a monster, Davis! Dan Arnold is like one of these Saints vanity projects that's like actually really going to work out. They have one of these guys about once every five years that they bring in. And the only reason they're there is to prove how intelligent Sean Payton is. But uh, I think the difference between him and like Austin Carr and Keith Kirkwood is that uh, Arnold seems like he can actually play. Converted wide receiver with a 132.6 98th percentile burst score and a 93rd percentile agility score and was a dominant receiver at Wisconsin Platteville. I know it was Wisconsin Platteville, but we're talking about a 38% dominator rating and an 18.1 college yards per reception. You put him in an offense with Drew Brees and he's going to score fantasy points. You put Evan Ingram in an offense with Eli Manning and he's going to score zero, which is what he had last week. Well, he was he, he's hurt now too. I didn't even know that, but let's pretend that he wasn't hurt because it's funnier that way. He like pulled up lame in the pregame warmups and it wasn't reported until after the game started. Oh no. I'm sorry, Evan. I'm not trying to mock an injured player, but we'd rather have Dan Arnold than Evan Ingram. Yeah, I mean Arnold Arnold is good and he's attached to, you know, the most like they're the that's the Saints, I think, are maybe not the best, but they are the most varied offense in the NFL right now. Yeah, Jeff Janis is out of the league, sadly, and uh he's not coming back. He might. I'm leaving it open. I want to leave it open. But who's your next truther? Who's the next guy on your truther list? So I got asked this on a podcast the other day, and you know, I don't... What? They stole my question! This is a hobby horse question of mine! I don't know if I have a good answer. Oh. No, I get it. You're just... You're such a super rational DFS guy. Trutherdom just doesn't apply to you anymore. 
I would like to think that's true. I think that uh, probably somewhere in my head, I have the answer of like, I think maybe my my biggest true thing now is that Jarvis Landry was never good. That might be that actually might be my my biggest hill that I'm currently on because there are people who will still argue that he was. Isn't there anyone like Rashard Higgins or anybody? Well, I see I didn't I haven't done draft work really the last two years. So I don't have like a I don't have like a guy who's being undervalued because I haven't been in the you know, I haven't been in the data as much as I as I was like when I was doing stuff at Rotoviz. So like that might be the answer is just I don't Keith Kirkwood? What what's Keith Kirkwood's metrics like? I don't know. They're not very good. Yeah. For for me, the next Janus is going to have to be small school guy who had, you know, just like a, you know, like a 50% dominator rating or something who gets drafted to a good team who uh, just languishes on the bench. And I don't know if there's any good wide receivers languishing on the bench right now anywhere. Well, yeah, there is one. His name's Dan Arnold. They switched him to tight end. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I am a Dan Arnold truther. There you go. You're Dan Arnold. That's it. Yeah. Like, I certainly, I think that Dan Arnold, but I don't, I don't vociferously believe in Dan Arnold the way that I believed in, in Janice. Like, I don't, Dan Arnold and I aren't pals who talk on Twitter. Why don't you, why don't you shoot some names of some uber athletic guys out to me and I'll tell you. Now, I, I will tell you, I will be doing draft work this next year. I will be I will be all in on doing the draft work this next year. That would be great. I, we would love to have you back in that game. Yeah, so the next time I do this show, 100%, I will have an answer for you. You might have been on David Moore. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, the guys that I talk about DFS with, that are like the old Fantasy Insiders channel we have, when David Moore started getting snaps, they were like, dude, you should love David Moore. So you just say David Moore. I think the issue is, is I don't want to truth anyone that plays for Seattle because just from a fundamental football perspective, I want to just cast a shadow on everything they do. Why? Because of Schottenheimer. I just think that they should be. Oh, right, right. This is a tough time to be a truther on anybody. There's not a lot of good options. Oh, actually, wait, I have one for you. Josh Reynolds. I'm a Josh Reynolds truther. Yes. Yeah, that would be that would be my answer. I think Josh Reynolds is just as good as the other wide receivers in in the in um Los Angeles and were he to be installed as a starting wide receiver there full time, I think that he would do well. Oh yeah. If there were an injury in Pittsburgh... Oh, there's another good one. I love Ryan Switzer. I think Ryan Switzer would vacuum up a hell of a lot of targets, and I don't want anything to happen to Juju. Absolutely not. Love Antonio Brown. He is the top of the sport, but I think that Ryan Switzer could be a real target vacuum in Pittsburgh if he were called upon to play that role. Does does saying that Juju Smith-Schuster is better than this version of Antonio Brown count as truthing? No, because he recently moved ahead of Antonio Brown on our Dynasty rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. It happened. And it's uh, just could not be could not be more deserved, in my opinion. Now, give me one bold prediction for the remainder of the season and try to make it bold. Bold is in your DNA, so I'm not, not going to ask you to go very bold, but because I know that whatever your de facto boldness is is going to be bold enough. DJ Moore finishes amongst the top 12 in wide receivers and fantasy points from this point forward.
DJ Moore finishes amongst the top 12 in wide receivers and fantasy points from this point forward? God, he was so obviously the best wide receiver prospect in this class. My God, man. Is that the show? That's the show. My Logitech webcam is, uh, I mean, it's currently missing, so I'm going to have to fucking buy a new one. Well, Amazon will get it to you in two days, and people will be dying in warehouses around the world. It's true. It, it, it really is. I heard a story about how a woman died falling from a ladder, and they just coned her body off because they were just in a hurry to get all the packages out. I mean, Amazon, they are. They are the evil empire. There's, there's just no doubt about this. It was a contractor hired by Verizon because Amazon has raised the bar that all these other companies that aren't affiliated with Amazon necessarily have to find a way to get you a package in two days or their customer service ratings get hammered with this expectation that the package will arrive in two days. I mean, it's people, they're spoiled, man. Now the people that are, that are not necessarily logistics experts are racing to find someone that can get packages out somehow, some way, and people are dying. We live, we live in a capitalist shithole, my friend. You are, you are preaching to the socialist choir right now. I'm not saying don't ship packages quickly. I'm not saying shut down capitalism. I'm just saying stop the machines on the factory floor when someone dies and make sure they get medical attention. Let's not be complete assholes. This is the new Upton Sinclair of 2018. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that you are correct. Although the meatpacking industry is still shit. Have you seen how a pig is slaughtered? Fuck out of here, man. A slaughtered pig is fucking delicious. I know, but Jesus Christ. They hoist them up and they have these razor blades and they spin the thing around while it's still alive to shave all the hair off. I love eating pig, though. And I love Nikes. I have a basketball game in two days and I need my Nikes. So the circle reconnects at our own greed, Davis. Pork belly's fucking delicious. Can you blame us? Oh, my God. I had an egg sandwich with pulled pork yesterday. Oh, my God. But I did that thing where there's a sandwich on there that had, like, a Latin ingredients, and there was another sandwich with the pulled pork, and I just sort of asked them, I was like, well, don't put the aioli on there, but give me a side of guac and salsa, and I'm going to combine the two sandwiches into, like, the best possible sandwich on this menu that doesn't exist. Wait, you like guacamole? What? No, guacamole is is bad. I'm a big texture guy, and the texture is is not good to me. To get the texture better, so it's not as like sort of creamy lumpy. Creamy lumpy is not it's not a texture you want there. So what you do is you mix it with salsa. I, I like to cut it with salsa, and you mix those two together, and that gives you know sort of a Latin flair to the pulled pork and egg. I'm just recently kind of getting into the like the cooking shows on um, on Netflix. I just watched uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which was which was very good. A rule is that if you're gonna have something that is tart, cut it with some sugar, and it really pops. Like pies, for example, strawberry rhubarb, full piece of rhubarb. If you ever had it, it's very tart. So it's almost bitter tart. But then you add sugar from strawberries. And you mix that together, and that's just dynamite. 
th th that just like supercharges the whole experience. That's why things that are salty and sweet together taste so fucking good. Yeah, with a little, and you get that little bit of acid, it's, it's, it's clutch. What people forget to do when they're making balsamic vinaigrette is you need to make sure you put a pinch of sugar in there. That will cut the acid really nicely. Listen to this whole show yesterday on why sugar is so harmful. All the metabolic reasons why sugar is bad. The liver has to process sugar like it would alcohol. Fat's better for you than sugar. 100% true. The liver thinks you're an alcoholic if you're eating Skittles all day. That's essentially what's happening. But then again, sugar is not a toxin. You just have to look on the label and see, okay, is this particular food just going overboard with the sugar? Are they just dumping a whole cup of sugar in here just to get more sales? Like the yogurt companies, right? The yogurt companies do that. You can get away with half the sugar and it still tastes great. You're just assholes. If you could just remove all the asshole sugar items and, and cut your sugar that way, you can still enjoy it. It's very important. Sugar's great, man. The sugar lobby is a powerful one. It's like a spice like anything else. It's like a, it grows in stocks and they harvest it. When you go to your cabinet, it's in a container just like salt. You don't dump a cup of salt in everything you eat. Why does everything have a cup of sugar in it? But someone from Sweden had to be like, guys, you're doing yogurt wrong over there. You're doing yogurt wrong. Stop doing yogurt this way. There's a sugar conspiracy in the United States that's fucking you people and giving you diabetes. But if you're making dressing, you really need it. So the problem with sugar-free is they're going to go ahead and put aspartame or some other chemical that's even worse. So you can't do sugar-free either. So you got to find the balance, and that means you got to read the labels. It just takes more time, but you just have to care. You have to care what goes in your body. Sorry, I care. Sorry. Sorry for caring. I'm looking at the labels in the supermarket. People look at me like, fuck are you doing? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What do you mean, who do I think I am? Am I, am I in your way, old man? <laughs> I've done a couple of like the crash diet, not crash diets, but like restriction diets. And uh, it's like really good for getting you just to think about what you're putting in your body. Jerry Seinfeld's in his early 60s. I'm like, how the fuck? Yeah, he looks like a kid. Would it shock you, Davis, to learn that his wife has a cookbook? And she understands how to cook delicious food without being an ingredient asshole. Who knew? Just through bits and pieces that I've consumed, I know you're having a good year. That's a good sign. I've just ran so fucking hot in cash games. Yeah, Quincy and Nunwa last week. It's 3X, man. 3X is 3X. I don't care. I'm a big texture guy. He flies too close to the mansion. We'll eventually take him down. I'm a big texture guy. Gus said we should have scored, man. How do you have that many carries and that many yards without scoring? That sucked. And uh, Adams, uh, he had a 50-yard touchdown called back. People that don't know or understand this whole game, it must just be so bizarre if they were to listen to it out of context, how much I was obsessing over Josh Adams' six targets the week prior. What do you care so much about that? Like, do you realize what his price is on DK? You can do whatever you want you play Josh Adams. Those six targets are everything. Those six targets are everything! You don't understand! He got one target in the, the game against the Giants, though. He was going to get it regardless, just like Gus Edwards. Adams actually might be good. It's funny how 
there is no middle ground evaluating players. Either it's all them, or it's all their quarterback, or it's all their offensive line, or it's all their coach. Josh Adams, it was all his offensive line in college. Jared Goff, he's just whatever cardboard cutout has the radio and his headset connected to the genius, right? It's all or nothing. I don't even like Devontae Adams, but at some point, you need to give him some credit. I mean, Aaron Rodgers isn't even playing well. Adams is the, he's the showdown hero. Every time the Packers are in uh, a showdown slate, he's just the guy to lock in captain and no one has him and he's always good. The Skip Bayless takes of the world infiltrate even the highest levels of DFS. That's what I've learned this year. No one's submitting all their lineups based on what a computer is telling them. They're not doing that. I mean, I use projections every week, but I never just run the straight optimal. Yeah, no one does. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that you are correct. When I'm doing these accents, I'm not making fun of people from the South, for example. I'm making fun of people who execute Southern accents poorly. Stretches to the outer limits of what they're capable of with narrative, that it's Andy Reid. They're going to have to give some credit to Patrick Mahomes. They're going to have to give credit to Tyreek Hill. They just have to. Which is wild because Mahomes is, he's amazing, man. Mahomes is so good. Feels like so long ago. They were being criticized for moving on from Alex Smith. Like, that just seems so comical now. It seems like a pure comedy. But that was happening with straight faces around the industry. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that you are correct. Treated to the Tom Savage show in Houston. And that was just Savage on the eyes. It's not great. It's not great, Bob. I feel like there are players in the FanDuel salary pool that are just socks, mismatched socks that have been left in the dryer. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that you are correct. In Dynasty, if you're a man and you traded a left testicle, if you're a woman and you traded a left ovary, it was a good trade. Give yourself a hand. All those people that put those godfather offers out there in Dynasty for Saquon Barkley and found a way to roster Saquon Barkley for his lifetime in football in a Dynasty League, great job. So I don't actually think that uh, being on the Giants is like fantasy Siberia for him. Those people made the right move. It's great. Until he gets hurt. You know, I remember you went walkabout there. I love having you back. Yeah, I needed I needed some time away from the game. Beep, 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 beep. Ooh, I got that beep just right, didn't I? I got that. I got that just right. I really nailed that beep. It took me a few beeps, but I got it. Yeah, there's no analysis there. We're just, <laughs> we're just talking about how amazing it would be and how doomed he is in New York. I was transported. Now, under what scenario would you play Gronk in DFS? Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. I thought you might have some kind of seizure at the idea of playing Gronk in DFS. If I went on like 810 sports here in Kansas City, this is the stuff they would ask me, which I'm I'm loving it. He should have scored last week, man. He had over 25 carries. He had over 100 yards. That to me is a floor. Sony Michelle just pressed play. This is the highest possible level that people think about daily fantasy sports. What an interesting question. I'm sorry, Evan. I'm not trying to mock an injured player, but 
We'd rather have Dan Arnold than Evan Ingram. Yeah, and his name sounds like a co-host on a show with Roseanne Barr. You want to explain Christian McCaffrey's big week 12? I give you Earl Thomas. You think so? I don't know, dude. I want to do an explosion sound. I just did an exercise real quick of all the big pass-catching weeks for running backs, and then I juxtaposed that with the top safeties, and it was like... Oh, yeah. No, Jarvis was just never that good. Jarvis was just never that good. Never that good. There's going to be a coup d'etat. I mean, isn't this the week to play the wide receivers with the impossible matchups for the win? Yeah, put them both in the same lineup and just, uh, you know, print. Nowhere on Player Profiler is there a 100% accuracy guarantee. Uh, you know, print. I've been here for every pixel that was designed and developed on playerprofiler.com, and I don't see a 100% accuracy guarantee. Uh, you know, print. Stop signing players that can't help you in any phase of football and get Jeff Janis on your roster if for no other reason than he can help on special teams. He used to respond to my DMs. You've DM'd with him? He's definitely in a tree stand. With Amari Cooper. His career was about to be over. He was about to be in a tree stand with Jeff Janis. The rational decision-making in the player personnel departments is increasing incrementally across the NFL. It's still very slow, and you still have entire franchises that are far, far away from optimal. But there's incremental gains. David Johnson was only a third-round pick, and he was like, that's a, that's a dude who should have been like drafted where Nick Chubb was drafted. Yeah, I don't think he would have been drafted in the third round in 2018. I said the same thing. I'm a total hypocrite. Yeah. What, what's Keith Kirkwood's metrics like? I don't know. They're not very good. Jerry Rice. Yeah. <laughs>